0: Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me for another episode of the Cash Flow Guys podcast. I am back, and today we're going to talk about breaking down the deal. This is something I enjoy the most. This is a blast. I like to look at the numbers, rip them apart, put them back together, figure out where's Waldo, where's the money hiding, where's my cash flow. That's what I'm thinking when I'm going through this. What I use foremost is I use a quick test method. And I'm going to cover that in a second. But one of the things I want to mention in this website is it's critical for your success as a real estate investor to get some tools together, whether it be you make an Excel spreadsheet that has formulas built in or you, you grab a spreadsheet or you buy a software program. you got to learn how to use a 10B2 calculator. you got to learn to do the math. And here's what the real estate guys say over and over again, and it couldn't be any more true. If you do the math, the math will tell you what to do if you're trying to decide to whether to keep a, a property or sell it whether you're trying to decide to uh to finance an existing property pull equity out do whatever you're going to do you got to do first do the math you got to take the time to do the math the math is going to tell you what to do and i know math is something that's puzzling to a to a lot of us i'm one of them i i'm i like working out the numbers and all that but i'm not real tickled pink about the mathematics of it in general i like working with numbers but you know, give me algebra and put me to sleep. But good news is we're not going to use algebra today. We're going to talk about cash flow. We're going to talk about breaking down the deal, figuring out once you've, you've done some quick tests, you figured out uh, that maybe it's a go. So at that point, you're going to take it into the next step and you're going to start doing a little bit of the preliminary underwriting on the deal to see if it makes sense or to see where your offer needs to lie. You know, what inspired this episode is I was, uh, I was out in the field this week. I think it was Saturday morning. I was over at a house. It's a property we have listed for a, an investor client of ours. And the property is listed at $100,000. I think it was at 105000 But math really, it's, it's just for the sake of conversation. We're going to use $100,000 today. And I had probably five or six real estate agents come in with buyers in tow. And here was the shocker. Are you ready for this? They had investor, quote-unquote, investors in tow with them, okay? So these folks are being led around town by these real estate agents, five different real estate agents. So I've decided that this has become an epidemic, at least in my market, in the Tampa Bay market. And part of the reason why we put the Cashflow Guys podcast together is to try to educate people on how to take action, number one, but more importantly, how to be successful in your real estate investing you know, real estate investing is a lot more than just owning a bunch of property or having a bunch of deeds in your name or having a bunch of land trusts. You know, it, it's not about being cool and sexy. It's about being profitable. And the only way it's ever going to be profitable is if you take the time to do the math, to do the numbers, and just like uh, Robert and Russ say from the real estate, real estate guy show, do the math. I said it before. I'm going to say it again, do the math. Math will tell you what to do now. First step, quick test method. I'm driving down the road. I'm looking at a property. Somebody calls me on the phone. Hey, I want to sell my property. I'm in trouble. I've got a rental property. I'm looking to get rid of it or I've got a regular house, whatever. First thing I'm going to figure out is what is the market rent for that area? That's critical. That is a critical piece. And knowing your markets, I can't stress this enough, knowing your local market or where you plan on investing, having a relationship with property management teams, doing your own research, comparing that to that of the property managers is critical because one of the most important equations or numbers when you're doing mathematical equations for buy and hold real estate is knowing what realistic rent is. I can't tell you how many times I see this out in the field. People are saying, well, that should rent for 950. And realistically, it's not going to rent for more than 600 on its best day. Here's the problem. Folks go out, they get a mortgage based on these things, or they go take a hard money loan or pull money out of their retirement plan or do whatever they're going to do based on essentially made up or or make-believe fictitious numbers, numbers that came with no research to back them. That is dangerous. You are playing Russian roulette with your money and your credit score. Don't do it. Don't fall into the trap. There are lots of tools out there that will help you do these mathematical calculations if math is challenging for you. However, it's garbage in, garbage out. In other words, it takes factual, accurate information Input into these different software programs or into the spreadsheet to get a result that makes sense. That all starts with market research. Get on the phone, call these property managers. I have a three-bedroom, two-bath house in Walla Walla, Washington, or pick a city. And it's in the um, Mount Mary subdivision. It was built in 1980. Based on that, what do you think it will rent for? And then dip at the property manager, if they're a candidate, should be able to give you some sort of a guideline a really good property manager is going to want to come out and take a look at the house or at least do a drive-by to get an idea of what the market will bring in that specific neighborhood. For example, you guys hear me talk about Memphis all the time. In Memphis, rents can swing wildly, wildly from one street to another. Literally, I can throw a rock and change the rents in one block. Kind of scary. Got to know where you're investing and what you're doing. I see this a lot when I see properties advertised on Craigslist in Memphis. They always say, uh, projected rent, uh, projected rent of nine fifty. Well, that's project whose projection. And you know, these are the things you got to think about. So take the time to do your own research, come up with what the rent is in an area. Once you have that information, the rest is how we get started. So first of all, I'm going to put a little blurb about this in the show notes, the quick test method I use, I'm driving the neighborhood. I know that properties in that neighborhood should rent for Nine fifty a month, that's a good average market rent, for example. So what I do real quick, on my calculator, on my iPhone, in my head, whatever, is I take my monthly rent, so in that case it's $950, and I divide that figure, that $950, divided by 1.5%. The result that that gives me is $63,333. So that is my conservative, and I stress the word conservative, quick test method to determine uh, what I need to acquire that property for within reason to make it make sense. Now, there's a, obviously, that is a quick test method. That is not an exacting science. It's just a formula that I use that my mentor taught me uh, that works very, very well. And it works in any market. I mean, people say, well, it doesn't work in my market. Well, if you're shopping in, in downtown Manhattan, then you're right. It's probably not going to work. So you do have to sometimes make small adjustments if you are in, I would say, probably two cities or two major areas where this, this method would need to be amended a little bit, and that would be maybe New York City and Hawaii. Even in California, the 1.5 method works um, to some degree. It'll need moderate modifications and whatnot. But with that said, this one that we're going to call this the 1.5 method for this episode. If we want to be more conservative Instead of 1.5, using 1.5 as a factor, we can use say 1.25. So we'll do the same math, $950 a month divided by 1.25%. That means at 1.5, that means you can pay up to $76,000. So that's less conservative. I made a mistake there. I'm human. It happens. That's less conservative. Here's why I goofed that up, guys, because I never deviate from the 1.5. If I can't get it to fit the 1.5, I don't I, I don't do the deal. Or I, I negotiate it based on these figures. I've convinced myself it's a mindset thing that the, these numbers make sense. They are what I need to be successful based on my investor identity, my uh, plan of attack, and my team and my expenses. I stick with 1.5. Now, don't fall into the trap, which a lot of investors do, of tweaking things to make deals work. You can't make deals work. The math either works or it doesn't. It's that simple. So my best advice to you is to stick to the 1.5 method. Don't deviate unless there's some extenuating circumstance. But it's, remember, it's just a quick test method. You need to go to the next step beyond that. If you want to be more conservative, you would increase that, let's say, to 1.75. So same equation. We're going to go $950 a month times 1.75%. I actually goofed that up. See $950 divided by 1.5%. That tells you the 63.3. So remember that the 1.5 puts you at sixty-sixty-six-three or 63.3. It's been a long day. I'm tired. So at 950 a month times or divided by 1.75%, that's 54.2. Okay. You see the difference there as the, the factor goes up 1.75 means you need to get it for even less. So if you want to be more conservative, go up from 1.5. If you want to be less conservative, which I highly, highly suggest you avoid, then you would go with the, the below 1. 1.5, 1. 1.4, 1.3, 1.25, 1. something like that. With that said, that's a quick test. You're driving down the street. So that tells me that on for a $100,000 property that rents, I know the market rent is at 950 a month. I know that I need to be around sixty-three-three as my acquisition and rehab cost total. So, what does that tell me? If the property is is priced at a hundred thousand dollars, that might be a stretch. Okay, I may probably I would probably pass over that property. So, based on where we started this episode, I wanted to do the math for you and break this down because I hear the agents, real estate agents, always saying, and I am a real estate agent. Granted, um, however, my goal or my what we do is to make sure that our clients are able to buy conserv- conservatively and able to buy profitably. Okay, That's what matters. It's not so much whether or not they own a property. It's whether or not it's going to make sense for them and they've left themselves some room. They've done the math. They've done the homework to figure out where they are. So let's use the $100,000 house as an example. And in this case, the particular house I'm talking about, would rent for nine fifty a month. That's where I come up with those numbers. Did my research. My research told me that 9 50 a month is a average rent for that area. It's a two-bedroom, two-bath house, and it's priceless. We're going to use the figures of $100,000. So what the, here's one of the first mistake. Number one is people think, well, I'm paying cash, so of course I'll cash flow. Well, yeah, you will. If you pay cash, yeah, you're going to get a return. The question is, what kind of return are you truly going to get? These are the questions that you have to ask yourself. But realistically, most people, I'm sure, listening to this show are not buying with cash. Or if they are, they haven't been listening to the show uh, yet. Maybe they should roll back a couple episodes and, and listen to previous episodes. Now, the thing you have to think about is where did the money come from? Okay, you're paying, let's, see, let's talk for a second. You're paying cash. That's all fine and dandy. But what is the cost of those funds? You know the money that is, doesn't isn't free. It comes from somewhere. You earned it, blood, sweat, and tears. You borrowed it from a home equity line. All of those type of scenarios come with a, a cost of funds, a cost of money. So let's just use a roundabout figure of five percent. Let's say, for example, you used you got you took a home equity line, and for some reason, when people take a home equity line, they think that means they're paying cash. No, you're not paying cash. You still have a cost of funds. Those that money costs you money to get. It's not like it's free. So using the 5% cost of funds figure, let's, for example, break this out over 15 years, a 15-year home equity line of credit, which is what I'm seeing a lot of people doing, which scares the living heck out of me, 15-year home equity line of credit. And believe it or not, these folks are even talking about how they just signed up for this line of credit and it has an adjustable rate, uh, interest rate. Wow, that's... uh, I guess we didn't learn our lesson the first time around, but it is what it is. I can't save everybody, but at least I can try saving you folks. So 70% loan to value, which means there's 30% equity in the property, quote unquote equity. I use that term loosely. 15-year note at 5% interest. That's your cost of funds. Now, it's important to note that investor, investor loans, they always, the banks, institutional lenders always try to talk you into 15-year terms. I can go on probably all day and all night about why that is, but um, you guys can do the research and and come up with the answers of why that is. But they they keep you around fifteen year terms with investor products in most cases that I've seen, at least down in our market, with uh, most of the investors that I've dealt with. I always talk to the lenders and try to get it up to thirty year terms whenever possible because I believe I'm a believer in using leverage to gain uh, to build wealth. So why why make it fifteen years when you can make it thirty or twenty or twenty five? Anything is better than fifteen. But anyway, getting back to it, 15-year note, 5% interest, 70% loan-to-value on $100,000. What that means in English is you're putting $32,100 down as your initial cash invested. That does not include your closing costs and whatnot. That means that your cash-on-cash cash return with that type of product, buying a $100,000 house that rents at 950, your cash-on-cash cash return is negative 3.3%. Now I know some of you are thinking, "Well, I have a hundred thousand dollar house that rents for, well, 950. You mean I'm losing money?" Yes, I do mean you're losing money, And here's why: A lot of people buy, and a lot of people teach, cap rate. okay? Cap rate does not allow for debt service, a lot of different items that it does not allow for. So the cap rate on the same thing, based on purchase price, is 5.6%. Not very exciting, but it is what it is. So you can see right there the difference is negative 3.3%, which means you're losing 3% per year. That's kind of scary. But let's pretend that the fairy godmother came in and decided to give you her money for free, and there was no debt service, none. And the money didn't cost you anything. There was no cost. It was just free money. So we're going to do the same math, and we're going to shake that out as far as a return, how that breaks out. Now, that changes the cash-on-cash return to 5.5%. Still, 5.5% for all the hassle and all the grief of being a property owner. Going through the risk, is it worth it for a 5.5%? Now, I think if it's a passive investment and you're not doing anything with the money and you're, you're not do, really putting forth any work, like, for example, you're working through a syndicator, another investor, they're doing all the work, you're getting a 5.5% return. I think that's darn good. I mean, I do that all day long. However, think about doing all the work. I mean, everything, dealing with the tenants, the toilets, the grief, the drama, the risk, For that amount of reward, 5.5%, is it worth it? Well, only you can answer because it really comes down to your investor identity. However, it doesn't jive with me. So let's say, for example, same example, same amount of money, $100,000. This time we're going to amortize that over 30 years, okay? Over 30 years. What that does is it takes, well, I forgot the most important part. At 15 years, your cash flow is negative $87. That means you're losing $1,000 a year. Now, people will argue and say, well, I'm making money in appreciation because it appreciates over time. It's a good investment. Yes, it does appreciate over time. However, if you're buying a single-family house, you are therefore subject to market fluctuations, which will have an impact on that equity figure. That equity is, is false hope. Don't get caught up investing for, for equity. Invest for cash flow. That's what we put this show together for is to invest for cash flow. Now, going with a 30-year example... That takes your cash flow from a negative 87 means you, you started losing $87 a month at a 15 year term by making it a 30 year term. You're actually positive $90 big deal. So you make a whopping $90. So here's how that breaks out. You put $32,000 cash down to get this $100,000 property. And your reward for that is a whopping 90 bucks. well, that's what people are doing out in the marketplace right now, and and I hope that you, my listeners, are not one of those people. But if you are, it's not too late to save you and get you thinking a different way. Now, on that $90, that cash-on-cash return is 3.4%. Well, eh, I suppose that's okay. Um, it's about equal the advertised rate of inflation. I don't believe inflation is anywhere near 3.4%. I think it's closer to 7 to 9%. Appreciation, but that's just my opinion, based on the experts that I listen to. Everybody has their own opinion. The bottom line is, you got to think to yourself: What is an accurate return? What is a a good return? What makes sense to me? What is it? What what is my buffer zone? And here's a good example: Folks with a ninety dollar a month positive cash flow. There is very little margin for error because what's important to note here is when I did these calculations, I figured. A cleaning and maintenance at 10%. That's a figure I've been using for a while. I figure 10% hold back for cleaning and maintenance. That works out to, and that's conservative. And that works out to $1,000 a year in cleaning and maintenance. This is assuming you're buying a property. You've, you, it's in good condition. It's serviceable. Everything's good to go. However, remember, you got $90 cash flow. You got $86 a month getting set aside. Now, if nothing happens and you don't have any repairs, ha, 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 then you get to pocket that $1,000. That's extra profit for you. But realistically, we both know that something's going to happen. You're going to need to do something. You're going to have to fix the stove. You're going to have to do something, fix the hot water heater. It's the nature of the beast. However, if anything goes wrong and you've only got $90 cash flow every month, well, a hot water heater that has to be replaced on a Saturday morning when you're not able to do it and you have to have a plumber do it, and those things will cost anywhere between $5 and $750, if you're doing a, a late night call, these are things you got to think about. You're going to have to provide hot water to these tenants, and some municipalities will get yourself in hot water if you, <laughs> pardon the pun, if you don't provide these services quickly, or you have to give rent credits back to them. I heard that's that's the case in the city of Chicago, for example. So think about these things. Ninety dollars—that's an awfully skinny profit, very, very skinny. I've allowed uh, in this example, I've allowed twelve percent for insurance. That's hundred bucks a month, or twelve hundred bucks a year. I've allowed 15% for management. And that's one thing I want to bring up to you guys is when you think about management expenses and when you're thinking about all these fees, you got to be realistic and you got to pick up the phone. Let's start with insurance. You got to pick up the phone and call these insurance companies. You call three different insurance companies. You get some quotes um, from these insurance companies based on an individual property. Try to find a cookie cutter property neighborhood where that you're going to be buying rental property. And get a, get a good insurance quote before you close so you know all of your known expenses. These are things that it takes a few minutes to do and you've got accurate figures. That's critical. Management fees. People think I hear people puff their chest and go, I pay 7.5% to my guy. I told him. Well, here's the thing. That guy's managing your asset or girl is managing your asset. They are managing your wealth. Why would you be proud of the fact that you beat them up on their fee? Do you really think, They are going to do a quality job if you underpay them. Be smart about it. Now, a lot of property managers, the average running rate in um, the two metros that I work in or that I uh, invest in is around 10%. However, there's incidental fees and whatnot throughout the year that add up. So I generally figure when I'm underwriting a deal, I'll figure in 15% for management. In this case, that works out to $128 a month. And then, of course, someone at this point was going to chime in and say, well, I manage the property myself. Well, that's great, but I've got better things to do with my time, like going fishing on my kayak than managing my property. Now, granted, I man—I manage the property, the little fourplex that we live in here in Florida. The reason why I manage that is I live here. It doesn't make sense for me to hire management, although I have interviewed a few. I just haven't found one I felt was would provide a level of service to my tenants, uh, which is why we're probably going to be opening a management company here soon. However, uh, my other properties, I have professional management teams in place. You guys have heard me talk about them before. They are critical to my success in the marketplace. No doubt about it. They are the best in the business. They've been doing it since the beginning of time pretty much. They are not the cheapest game in town, but they are also not the most expensive. And I go out of my way to make sure they are fairly compensated because they are worth every penny, every penny, absolutely. Property taxes. You go down. You look at your property taxes. Go on the the uh, property appraiser's website in the city, county, or municipality where you're buying. Look up the property taxes. Add a little fluff if it says eight fifty. Go ahead and figure nine hundred because when you buy the property and they record the deed, they're probably gonna boost your taxes a little bit. Some counties and cities and states have, or municipalities rather, not states, but have calculators built into their programs. That's pretty cool. Where you can say well i'm going to buy this property at a hundred thousand, and the last time the taxes were calculated was based on a fifty thousand dollar sale. It does a if this then that scenario where it will calculate what the new taxes will be for you. Another thing you got to watch out for if you're doing single family or one to four unit multifamily is if there's a homestead exemption in place on the property that you're buying now think of look at the look at the tax bill and see if there's a homestead exemption if there's a homestead exemption now." you can uh, you and you're not planning on occupying the property that homestead exemption will then come off so that means your taxes will go up this all comes back to doing your homework now getting into uh overall operating expenses i like to they call this opex in the business opex i like to keep opex below 40% uh whenever possible now in this case the opex is 45% that equates to three hundred eighty-nine dollars a month in operating expenses, and of course this is on a single-family house. However, you have to leave yourself some slush. You got to leave yourself some room there. And in this example that I'm looking at here, it uh, of that hundred thousand, and we talked about the fifteen-year note at five percent. Our income coming in was four sixty-six, but our mortgage payments, our net operating income, that's after our rent. We've got uh, going back to the top, you've got your rent at 950 and then you can deduct the $95 for your vacancy loss. You got to allow for that. And then that gives you your operating income from your operating income. You deduct your expenses. Then you get, you come up with the net operating income. So net operating income is your operating income minus your operating expenses. That is your net operating income or NOI. From your NOI, you deduct your mortgage payments, or in this case, your cost of funds. If you took a home equity line and there's interest on that, whatever, wherever that money came from, and it has a cost attributed to it, that you you would deduct that as debt service uh, from your, under the mortgage payment lines, and any capital improvements, they call that CapEx, anything that uh, this is a good plan as well. When you're going into a property, figure out, okay, well, the AC is oh, I don't know, the AC is 15 years old, and I'm probably going to have to replace that in the next five years, and that's going to cost $4,000. So you may set aside some extra cash over and above cleaning and maintenance for CapEx, capital expenditures. These are big-ticket items. Or it needs a roof in 10 years. Well, start planning now for that roof. So you want to get that roof replaced before it starts dripping on your tenants' heads, and the tenants are moving out because they call you a slumlord. You want to avoid these things. Here's a a free plug for the software that I use, which I learned from my mentor. It's called realestatetools.com, realestatetools.com. It's a great program. It's available on, um, it's only available as far as I know for Apple. I'm an Apple guy. I don't believe in Windows products anymore. But um, you can use this on your MacBook, your iPhone, your iPad. I have it on all my devices. Um, And my whole team also uses this exact same software. I will say this, the only limitation between this software is if you do a a cash flow analysis in one device, let's say I do it on my MacBook, there's no way for me to transfer that information over to or export it to one of my other devices of the same program. The only thing I can do is export it as a PDF or I can email it. So that's a little annoying. I did reach out to the developer. They said that they're working with um, the Apple Store to get that worked out, but it hasn't happened as far as I know recently, and that's probably six months ago that I inquired on it. but. Real estate tools is a great resource for you to break down a purchase analysis and a buy and hold projection, figure out where you're going to be, figure out if an opportunity makes sense for you. So I want to recap. Quick test method, we're driving down the street, we know in a neighborhood that it rents for 950 a month that properties in that neighborhood, the two bedroom, two bath houses rent for uh 950 a month. We know that because we've done our homework. We've picked up the phone. We've made the phone calls. 950 is a good number. We take that $950 a month. We divide that by 1.5%. Don't forget the percent part. You take 950, hit the divide key, 1.5%. That gives you your maximum acquisition cost for that property. The other way you can do it if you know the purchase price and you're not quite sure what, how the math works, go in the other direction, you can take the purchase price and multiply it by 1.5%, and that will tell you what it should rent for. Okay, So in that case, you go purchase price times 1.5%. That will tell you what it should rent for based on that purchase price. The numbers work out to be the same either way you look at it, but it, it's a good quick test method to tell you whether or not you need to underwrite something. And what I do is if it gets close, you know, then we'll, we'll, we'll dive in and go from there. I hope you guys have found this, this episode helpful. And when you're out there in the field, you know, I always encourage people to seek the experts, seek out the experts. You know, in your local market, get out, get with a real estate agent that really gets it. And when I say that, when you pick a real estate agent, if you're going to use a real estate agent, you better make sure they own rental property. And with that said, you better have some conversations with them to make sure that that rental property is actually uh, profitable because you'll be surprised how many real estate agents and investors have property that they're absolutely upside down in, and which I really don't understand how that's possible because I just think people should do the math. As always, guys, I appreciate you taking the time to spend with me today to get a little tidbit of information. If you're on Facebook or you want to be part of our Facebook group, that's where I record videos and whatnot and answer people's questions live, you can go to cashflowguys.com forward slash group, cashflowguys.com forward slash group. Or you can reach out to me at info at cashflowguys.com. And as always, if you want to take 30 minutes with me on a Friday afternoon and have a conversation, if I can help you get unstuck or get closer to where you need to be, by all means, reach out to me at cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler. That's A-S-K Tyler, cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler. Thanks for joining me, folks, and have a great day.